Good Thursday, everyone. Welcome to the Mailbag Podcast presented by our good friends at Blue Water Climate Control. When they want to, again, thank the VolQuest uh, subscribers, listeners, followers of the site for all the referrals. They get more referrals to their website from VolQuest than any other source, and they want to show their appreciation for that. And because of that, VolQuest subscribers get discounts on all service and repairs, which is really good because it's time to start turning on your AC. And unfortunately, it might not work like it should. When that happens, we need to do what many others have been doing, and that's called Blue Water Climate Control. For more on Blue Water Climate Control, check them out online at bluewaterclimatecontrol.com, or you can give them a call at 865-299-2290. Give them a call and get your repair done the right way the first time by qualified people. They're not going to come out and upsell you something. They're going to come out and fix your problem. And also, you can give them a call now and schedule a spring heating and air tune-up, and when you do that, You'll get entered into that drawing for those two season tickets. We've been telling you about that. That time, that time's coming to a close. The drawing's going to be held on April the 26th. So for more information on that or to schedule your appointment, again, give them a call at 865-299-2290 or check them out at bluewaterclimatecontrol.com. Plenty of questions to get to in this mailbag edition of the VolQuest.com podcast, and we'll do that with Austin Price and Rob Lewis as we jump right into it here. First question out of the gate. Can you guys speak to the relationships between UT coaches, in-state high school coaches? Why do they always seemingly need work? Can't judge Hypo yet, but have the rest of the coaching staffs just made ter- just been terrible at building relationships in-state? Well, I think that you, you again. I think you've got to work all sides of the aisle. You know, you've got to work the seven-on-seven coaches. You've got to work the high school coaches. You've got to work the trainers. You got to work the parents. You got to work. I mean, it, you can't just focus on solely the seven on seven coaches. As for this staff, I do think it's a bit too early to tell. I know they reached out to a ton of high school coaches uh, across the state uh, early on, and uh, you know, it, it, to me, if they're smart, they'll they'll make another round of phone calls because I don't think you just want the initial phone call. I think you want to continue to check in, and part of that's on the assistant coaches that are you know recruiting certain areas like Willie Martinez has Murfreesboro, you know, or, or, you know, Jerry Mack has Memphis. Like you, you know, those coaches got to be the ones that really reach out, but I think it's smart on Josh Heupel's part. If he reaches back out much like he did when he first got the job, because I think you want to have a working relationship with all those people uh, to make sure that the state is uh, most effectively recruited. Well, and I think Rob too, that this state's interesting, you know, and I think it's a different dynamic when coaches come in and, and, and take this job. Um, Memphis is a long ways from here. Okay. So it's, and, and, and what I mean by different dynamic is given the fact the way the state's laid out, given the fact that Tennessee's not won a lot the last 10 years, it's just not the, it's not a lay down in state, you know, I mean, you go to some places and, you know, like in the state of Georgia, for example, Georgia's winning. There's some kids, if Georgia's offering, it's a lay down, right? It's absolutely a laydown for Alabama. Or Alabama is probably a better example of that. Um, and that's just not the case at Tennessee for a variety of reasons. One, you're not winning. Two, the geography of the state. B, you've got an influx of people who have moved into the state that haven't grown up lifelong Vol fans. And, and well, so it's if, just different. Well, I mean, I think the big, I mean, I think it's simple. It's, I mean, the, the kids, the, the in state kids at Tennessee are trying to keep from going to Georgia or Florida or Alabama. They were three when Tennessee played in an SEC championship game for the last time. I mean, I think it's pretty cut and dry. I mean, why Why do you – I mean, unless your dad went to UT or, or you know, your, your UT family 
which, you know, happens now and then. I mean, why is a kid, I mean, a kid in, in, in Jackson that's five hours from Tennessee that what allegiance does he have to the university just because it's, you know, the state school when, when he can go to Alabama and play for a national championship. Well, and for whatever reason, Rob, the, the staffs that have been here, um, you know, the last 15 years have been slow to offer in-state kids, you know, have, have, have the old notion, Brent, you know, well, if we offer them, you know, then they might commit, you know, this isn't 1999. And so like, in my mind, if you like a kid, maybe if you're not in love with him, but you just like him and you think he possibly could be a guy you might want to have a take a hard look at, I think you offer to get in the game because that's the way the game's played now. You know, I mean, like you go back just – I mean, look about how much how much it's changed. What was it six years ago or so, seven years ago, when Tennessee – when Butch Jones cut Tim Hart at Memphis and it was the gnashing of teeth. I mean, it infuriated everybody at MUS and people, you know, out in West Tennessee. Jeremy cut – you know, the kid at Baylor last year, and it, nothing was even said. He just moved on to Virginia Tech, and it wasn't a big deal. I mean, like, you know, so, I mean, like, people sure aren't going to get mad if you offer and then aren't willing to take them. You know, um, there's too many quality options out there. You know, and I know some people have talked about, you know, Kentucky. I get Kentucky football still looked at as Kentucky football, but as far as wins overall, I mean, they've had a 10-win season in the last decade. Tennessee's not. Tennessee's not won more than eight games in regular season since, you know, before Phillip was fired. So, you know, kids, that's how kids view it. Like, I know people on our site and, and, and fans in general, you know, look at Tennessee and they say, you know, blue blood program. But, you know, as Rob said, <laughs> those kids that were three the last time Tennessee was worth anything, you know, they don't see it that way. I mean, they they, they think they're, they're their greatest – wide receiver of all time is C.D. Lamb. You know, that's just – that's that's kind of just today's modern athlete. Yeah, no no, no, no doubt. And they don't so, even know who Eric Berry is in a lot of ways, Brent. No, absolutely. And so we'll, we'll see how this staff goes about it and, and how they uh, work the in-state and, and how that goes for them, not just this year, but in the coming years as well, because this state produces some quality individuals each and every year. It's, it's not like it cycles up one year and cycles down big time. I, I, I'll give you a perfect example. I think Tennessee is in a weird spot because, like, you know, there are some guys that I think they like, but they're not crazy about. Like, you know, and and but the problem is, is like, you know, those select players inevitably end up with like an Oklahoma official visit and, you know, those type of things. And all of a sudden, you know, the fans are like, wait a minute, <laughs> like, what's going on here? Because, like, I mean, Oklahoma's perennially a playoff team and they just took three of Tennessee's better players uh, this past offseason um, or, you know, Kids having a chance to go, you know, to this Big Ten school or this ACC school, um, you know. So I, I think ultimately that that that's kind of the, the weird spot that this staff is in is they're trying to play catch up. But even some of the middle of the road guys, you know, they got to make kind of make the decision on and either go on or or, or totally take a step back because you don't want to get caught up in recruiting a kid kind of halfway and then that kid picking somewhere else because you really weren't recruiting him the whole way. Yep, that's right. And this this state too is it's recruited harder than it's ever been recruited, which is yeah. a changing dynamic as well. I mean, it used to to hear of a, a non-SEC school coming into Tennessee and recruiting a player in the state of Tennessee just didn't happen. That's obviously not the case with where things are now uh, and how this state is recruited and, and the publicity that this state generates uh, with its high school football. All right, let's go on to the next one here. Who are some incoming freshmen who are going to arrive this summer? that have a chance to make an impact on this team besides special teams? I think you look at, you know, the state of Florida and Deshaun Rucker. The kid can run. 
secondary is a, a point of weakness or point of lack of depth um, on this football team. But where does Cayman Marley play? You know, I think he's a, a really good athlete. You know, where do they start him out at? Um, you know, I, I think that's going to be interesting and fascinating to watch. Um, so, like, to me, those are the top two that I'm kind of looking forward to seeing once they get here. Yeah, I mean, I think anybody's got a chance, Rob, to, to get to the quarterback in any way, help on defense in any way. Um, I, I, think, I think it goes a long ways in, in terms of being able to, to be a factor um, for, for this team um, this fall. Um, so we'll have to wait and see exactly who that is or is that, is that anybody at all uh, when this, this class is, is, is finally here and maybe they get some suspended guys back starting this summer too. I mean, there's some midterm guys who you just don't know about, you know, because those guys got in trouble and haven't gone through anything this spring. So we don't know what Isaac Washington can do and some of these other guys as well. So we'll see. All right, on to a hoops question here. Rob, best team you've ever seen Tennessee play. Worst team, Power Five only, that you've seen him play. Who is the best player you've ever seen play against Tennessee since you've been covering the balls? Uh, you know, he wasn't – probably wasn't – I don't know if best is the right word, but the most dominant guy, and it's not It's not close. The guy who impacted the game more than anybody else was Anthony Davis. I mean, he was a shadow of, of what he's become as an NBA player then. I mean, just had – you know, couldn't make a 15-foot jump shot. But the way he controlled the paint and, and the boards – he was, he was the most dominant guy that I have seen. And I would say probably that Kentucky team, but, man, the one that I guess was maybe just a year before might have been even more talented, John Wall, DeMarcus Cousins. Um, I know Eric I'm, Bledsoe. Eric Bledsoe. I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'm missing some other dudes. But, you know, that's – I would go with Anthony Davis. Man, as far as the worst, I, I, I have no idea. There's so, so many of those non-conference teams in December that have come to Thompson Bowling and are just run together. I've seen some bad ones. All right. Um, Maybe the Citadel team that Yemi Mack and Jula scored 18 straight points on has, has got to be on the short list. Oh, yeah, that's, that's certainly one to qualify for sure. All right, there are 15 spring practices for the players that have missed spring either due to injury or suspension. Is there any way they can make up for the lost time with individual coaching either later in the spring or the summer? Say a practice is Tuesday, one to three. Is that the only time a player can use that period to, of time to practice with his coach? Can a player interact with a coach, say, Tuesday morning, afternoon, and evening for, say, two hours at a time? What exactly are the rules governing time spent during spring practice? Look, they can meet with those guys. I mean, they, they can meet with people if you want to. You can't run a separate individual practice for um, so you know, guys who are, you know, for, any, for an individual. Uh, but you can have meetings with them and, and extra, extra time in the film room and uh, learning the system and that type of thing that that happens all the time uh, but you can't do that uh, basketball is a little different in the summertime because they can do individual coaching sessions or group smaller group sessions right Rob don't they do that in groups of two or three in, in that yeah they can't they can't do five on five with the team but they you know you get going by, by positions like they break them up into you know these four guys those four guys but that's that's been a big change in basketball that they that coaches love yeah, it's been huge, huge for the summer development of players for sure. But but in terms of football guys, those guys who were suspended or somebody who's hurt right now, other than some extra film time, you just can't do anything extra with them in terms of working them out on the field. Strength coach can rehab and do some stuff with them, but you, you can't get your coaches out there and, and do a bunch of stuff with them like like that um, outside of your official practice time and your, and your you know in your fifteen practices with your regular team. 
All right, can Rodney Gardner coach this defensive line up to their potential? We were good when we had a legit coach in Tracy Rocker. Do you expect to see the same or better results with Garner coaching this group? AP? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> they can't be any worse than they were last year, Brent. They didn't have a coach. Um, you know, as I do, I think you'll, you can expect to see more out of that group. He's going to push them and push them and push them. Now, who are the guys that are his key contributors? I'll be interested to see because I don't – I mean, just because, you know, you a guy like Darrell Middleton, just because he's been here and he's an older guy, to me doesn't mean that he's cemented as someone who will play a ton of snaps. I think, you know, for me and, – and I know you know Rodney way better than I do, but to me he's going to play the, the people that give him the, mo the best chance to win. If that's a freshman, it's a freshman. If it's a senior, it's a senior. Yeah, I think what's interesting, Rob, for me, and, and, and I think Rodney's a better coach than – He's probably ever been given credit for because he's been such a good recruiter in this league for so long. And it's just recruiting, recruiting, recruiting. I, I think the one thing that, that stands out to me with, with, um, with this situation is what are they going to ask this defensive line to do compared to what Tracy Rocker's group did? When you go back and look at the stats from, from Tracy Rocker's, I think Tracy Rocker did a good job with those guys. Um, I mean, I do. I, I think those guys had a good year, but, they they just held gaps to let linebackers go make plays, whether it was Batuli or Daryl Taylor or it was Henry T as a freshman or whatever. I mean, there was a lot of just kind of gap control. Don't get pushed. Don't You don't necessarily have to play in the backfield, but don't get pushed down the field. We're going to let the linebackers go make plays. Schamberger off the edge as a star. I, I'm curious to see, going to be curious to see what they're expecting the defensive linemen to do in this defense. Is it gap control? occupy space or is it go make plays yeah I mean, that's a great question Brent. i hadn't really thought of it but i mean i would think that rodney probably has the ability to adapt to his personnel but at auburn i think they were certainly coached to make plays now it's probably a lot easier to coach Derek brown to go make plays <laughs> <laughs> right. than it is you know what he's working with now but even you know the interior guys i mean they, they had playmakers so I, I mean, I, I would guess that, that he can probably shape what he's going to do to the talent that he's working with. But uh, I think that's a good question. I mean, does he dial it back and, and approach it like Tracy Rocker did? But then again, <laughs> if he doesn't have the linebackers, <laughs> you wouldn't think to, you know, to really take advantage of that kind of scheme. I'll say this, Austin. I thought Tracy Rocker in his first, in his first year here when he was here, I, I thought Tracy Rocker did as good of a job as any assistant coach that Jeremy Pruitt had in terms of player development on the practice field. I mean, he was a, he was a throttling pain in the rear end for those guys, but I thought he did a really good job with that group, but obviously he didn't go recruit, which is why he ended up not being here. But I think when you look at what he did, um, Kyle Phillips shot level Alexis Johnson. Yeah. I mean, yeah. He, he did a good job. I mean, he did a good job with those guys. He, he really did in terms of getting those guys better and, and giving, them, some, giving some of them a chance to play at the next level. That was his strength, was developing players. It wasn't recruiting. I don't know that it was schematics, but from a fundamental stuff, he was really good. Um, but he didn't do enough of the other things to, to continue to work here, bottom line. Yeah, I mean, he, he didn't recruit. And, right. you know, th th that was something Jeremy really coveted more than anything else. So – you know, once he kind of failed to get things done on the recruiting trail, it didn't matter, you know, what his guys had done on the field. Well, and that points us right to the next question. It seems like the last half was filled with coaches who were recruiters first, but were average at best as coaches. 
the current staff seems to have more promise as coaches and teachers, but perhaps not as good at recruiting. Time will tell. Do you agree with that assessment? Also, which assistant coaches do you that um, that you have covered have had the mix of both in terms of recruiting and, and X's and O's? Yeah, I don't know if I agree with that. I mean, like when you look, I mean, like Kevin Chair's you know, coaching on an NFL roster. Uh, Chris Rump's coaching on an NFL roster. Tracy Rocker's coaching on an NFL roster. I mean, like, you know, I, I, to me, like the NFL guys take the best coaches because, you know, it, it's different um, and you're not having to recruit. Um, so, like, the fact that they're all coaching in the NFL, whether it be with the Chicago Bears, the Philadelphia Eagles, or the New York Giants, tells me they're pretty solid football coaches. So, um, I, I think that really, especially those first two years, Brent, if anything, Jeremy had some guys that were labeled recruiters because of past ability that, you know, really were kind of better just position coaches and not very good recruiters anymore, not dogged recruiters like they were back maybe in their heyday. Rob, I think this notion comes and, – and, and I'm not trying to be critical of him. I think this notion comes from one simple thing, and that was the fact that Jeremy Pruitt moved Brian Niedermeyer into the linebacker role to coach, having never coached that position before. And, and wanted to keep him on staff because of what he had done on the recruiting trail. And I think that's where that notion uh, probably derives from for some people, that it was all about recruiting that last year based simply off that one move. Kevin Sherry goes to the NFL and you replace him with a guy who has never coached a position before but is your best recruiter on staff. Yeah, I agree with that. And I, I think the perception about this staff also is influenced by the fact that so many of these guys are coming from Central Florida where they haven't recruited. At, at this level. And to me, that, I mean, that doesn't mean that they can't do it. I mean, I, and I've said this before, but look at Butch Jones and he brought his whole staff from Cincinnati and recruiting was not, you know, the, a, a problem for that, for that staff. They, they, they did a nice job. That's not why Butch is, you know, isn't here anymore. Cause I guess in, by year two, they were top five, right? Yeah, they were. Um, and that was a really good class that they put together that gave them back-to-back uh, -back nine win seasons. As for coaches who, had the, had the best mix of both. I would put Dan Brooks in that category as a guy who could develop players and was a good recruiter. I think Kippy Brown, um, when he was a receiver coach, that's going way back, was an elite recruiter. We all know what he did to, to develop wide receivers, both at the college level and at the NFL level. Uh, there would be two there. I think Trooper Taylor was probably a better assistant coach in terms of being a coach because he got the most – out of his kids maybe he wasn't the best x's and o's guy in the world but he got the most out of his kids and was an effective recruiter as well so those would be some of the names that i've covered that i would put in there and i would i would put rodney in that in that category as well um as somebody that i've covered who, who obviously has a track record of being a good coach a good position coach i well. think one, one guy i would quietly put in there is uh greg atkins back yeah. in the day yeah i mean obviously you talk about what he, he did in 04 with that offensive line you know, and two freshman quarterbacks, 2,000-yard rushers. And then you look at um, guys he went out and recruited uh, from the Jesse Mahalonas to, to Jabril Wilsons to um, all those guys that he recruited on the West Coast that, that paid great – or paid serious dividends for Tennessee as well. That, that's, that, that's a good one for sure. Um, all right. Uh, last week uh, – saw last week that Florida State released details about their name, image, likeness program. Assuming the NCAA version of the NIL is in place later this year, any idea how Tennessee's NIL program will be structured? 
am I naive to think that this legislation has the potential to benefit us greatly based off our brand and following? I don't, I don't think it benefits Tennessee any more than it's going to benefit other Power 5 schools out there. I don't know what Tennessee's program is going to look like. I know that Danny White has um, put that task on a couple of the, of the administrators he has hired since he's been here that he's brought with him uh, to help put that program in place. I think Reed Sigmund is involved in that as well. Um, I don't know what it's going to look like yet. I, I don't know that anybody's got a complete final um, final program because I think that thing's going to have tweaks in it from day one and some adjustments in it from day one because there's so much unknown with some of that stuff in terms of how it's going to be dealt with. And it is a huge, huge undertaking to put a program in place. And um, again, I think you've got to be pretty flexible with some of that stuff as you move forward with that. Um, all right. Can you update us on the recruitment of Arch Manning? You mentioned a relationship between Danny White and Cooper Manning in the past. Do you know how close they are or they are not? Um, I think they're friends. I know they're friends. Um, how close they are, I don't know that they're, quote, close. Arch Manning's not going to make a decision, and Cooper Manning's not going to make a decision on where they're going to play college football based on who the AD is. Does it help that there's a relationship? Does it maybe help Tennessee there? Yeah, I mean, it probably helps some, but I don't think that when you sit down at the end of the day, Somebody's going to look, you know, Arch Manning's going to have Tennessee and some other school there. And he's going to go, yeah, the, the thing that, that, that tips it over the scale for me is the fact that my dad knows the AD there. I just don't think that's going to be the case. Arch Manning's going to be coveted by everybody, Austin. Tennessee will be in, in play there to be a real factor in there. They've got to have success and they got to have a quarterback have some success in Josh Heupel's offense. Yeah, that, that, what you just said, the last part is exactly right. They've got to be able to win some games, prove that they can win some games and have a, a and, and be able to score points doing it in a fashion where the, the quarterback is, uh, you know, not the focal point, but, you know, it, it is definitely a, a main piece to what they're doing. Um, yeah, I, I would say that Tennessee's chances of landing Arch Manning are an extreme long shot. I mean, like, I know his name's Manning, but he's not Peyton's boy. This isn't Marshall. It's Arch, which is Cooper's boy. Ole Miss is where he grew up going to games. I'm not even saying he's going to Ole Miss. I'm just saying, like, if you're kind of going to go off the radar of, like, a not an Alabama or a Clemson or an Oklahoma, which are, you know, kind of the teams that quarterbacks love to go to these days, uh, you know, Ole Miss makes more sense than Tennessee does just based off the fact that, you know, he's grown up going to a bunch of games there. And Tennessee and, not had any success. And their coach has shown in his only year in the job that he's put up a bunch of points. Yep, and I think Sarkeesian at Texas will be a play in there as well. Another one. And here's the one thing you know, Rob, about the Mannings. It'll be methodical, and nobody will really know what's going on. Yeah, that's what I would say. Nobody will know anything. <laughs> they may think they do, but they're not going to really know anything that's going on with that one. All right, Austin, you mentioned that Tennessee's not really recruiting Jalen Lewis or Anthony Brown. Can you tell us what the DB recruiting board looks like come 2022? That defensive back room is looking pretty scarce, especially at corner. In fact, it's downright scary heading into 2022 at the moment. Well, Tennessee's looking, you know, out of state, you know, for DBs. I mean, they're not really looking in state for, you know, you look at, you know, guys like Jalen Lewis. I mean, I can see Tennessee maybe eventually pulling, you know, going in there more than they have been. But, I mean, like, Tennessee's not looking at the kid at Ravenwood, um, you know, um, very much. I mean, I, I just think they're going to go out of state for any of their defensive backs, especially in this class. 
Yeah, and we'll see what that board looks like. I think that's going to come from um, trying to watch practice tape for some kind of spring evaluation and then who can you get on campus um, for, for summer camps, Austin, and then who can you find early in the fall when you can get on the road and go watch kids play as well. So um, I, I think that's you know just part of the catch-up that everybody is playing. We'll see where Willie Martinez is with – with guys that he had on his radar screen when he was at Central Florida, look moving forward and, and how that changes based on the relationships he has with people and, and the contacts he has with people and who all he talks to out there. The one thing you know about, about Willie Martinez, he's done a nice job developing guys who aren't, you know, the, the, the elite national pro, you know, prospects. I mean, Cam Sutton was passed over by most in the SEC. Emmanuel Mosley was not wanted by anybody. Justin Coleman's another one that was not coveted by everybody in this league as well. Kamari Rogers, Marcus Allen, Quavian Carter. That, those would be three names that I think that Tennessee will look at in, at the defensive back. And, again, I'm not saying that they won't go back in on a guy like Jalen Lewis, but right now it just seems like that's further from being the case. All right, I didn't get to this question last week because we are running out of time, so it's higher on the board this week. This uh, – Vol for life, 37643, really needs to know. A non-sports-related question, but the best places for traditional wings in Knoxville might be moving to Knoxville. Best traditional wings in Knoxville. Anybody got a thought? I'm not really a big wing guy, so I don't, I don't frequent any establishments just for their wings. Now, the players on the team will tell you Mo B's down, down their campus, um, you know, is, is, a, is a hot spot for wings. I'll give you two underrated places that have pretty good, that have good wing days and, and pretty good. I like the wings at Fieldhouse Social, which is near campus. That's non-traditional. Nobody's going to call that a great wing place because it's not a traditional wing place. I think Dead End Barbecue's wings, their smoked wings are, are really good as well. But now I am a, I am a dry rub, naked wing, dipping sauce on the side kind of guy. I'm not a big, I'm not a big sloppy you know, wings with sauce dripping all over them that you get all nasty with. But you're, they also gotta have not, in them. You're, you're also I'm not, not chicken nuggets. I'm guy. not eating chicken nuggets. <laughs> I'm not eating chicken nugget wings. My son fixed my son my son's fixed boneless wings in the air fryer tonight. They were called chicken nuggets with hot sauce on the side. Is exactly what took place. <laughs> all right, let's go on to the next one. Can you compare contrast different ways this staff runs practice compared to the last staff, Austin? This was on you. Heard Austin on the Swain or somewhere mentioned watching practice, trying to get a feel for what's going on. I remember hearing how the way the last staff set up practices, they were when they first arrived, there's a lot of extra reps, all the two spotting stuff. Uh, and that was supposed to help development. Um, how does this staff go about going about pra running practice? It's similar. I mean, they do two spot as well. Um, you know, I, I, we're only up there for two periods, so it's really hard to get a feel for how they run a true full practice. We saw it Saturday, Brant. I, it, it was to me hard to kind of get a gauge on like you know what they were trying to do. Use individual, then they go set eleven on eleven, then they do some situational stuff, then back to individual type drills. Um, you know, and that doesn't make them wrong or right or anything else. It's just their way. Yeah, I mean, it's not like they do all their individuals on the front end, Rob, and suddenly jump into team periods to finish practice. I mean, they they did kind of bounce back and forth, at least in the open practice with some team stuff. And it's like from that team period, they would go back and do some individual correction stuff. And then they would come back a little later and do some one-on-one -on -one stuff. So um, it's pretty fast moving. They try to get a lot of work in. They got a lot, there's shorter periods, but they have a lot of periods on, on the practice field. And again, there's, there's a million ways to, to skin a cat. It's all about whether or not you can win or not, whether, 
whether you practice fast, whether you practice with a microphone, whether you practice with music, whether you practice without music, it, it's just all about the results. And we'll see what the results uh, of this program and this coaching staff look like in the next, co next couple of years. Um, Rob, we all understand it's early, but in terms of length and time at Tennessee, before going to the pros, one and done, two or three years, three or four years, how do you judge Tennessee's basketball class at this juncture? This is not a gotcha question at all. Just interested in your here and now take. Uh, P.S. If we happen to get to one or more commitments not listed in the podcast, can you comment um, on them as well? So where would you put um, – is it Adou? Ado? I'm going with Adou. Ado? Ado, excuse me. Ado. So what do you think of Ado? Is Ado a two-, three-year player, four-year player? I, I think so. I mean, I don't know that he, he'll be a four-year player. I mean, with his size and athleticism, he'll have a chance to – I mean, if he develops – not all about how he develops, but I, I don't think he's one and done. That's I'm comfortable saying that right now. All right. Kennedy Chandler, we think that one's got the real possibility of being one and done. The right? only thing would be his size if that turns NBA scouts – off because he is very slight of frame but skill wise and athleticism i mean he's he's the bomb all right and powell is a guy who's obviously played already but you know at, at auburn uh, i think he's going to complete his career i mean in, in terms of his eligibility right yeah i, I would be surprised if he's not a four-year player all right and then uh mayshack multi-year player for certain and right, we'll see what the rest of recruiting looks like for Tennessee on the basketball front. Keep close tabs uh, because there's plenty of buzz out there about what's what else is going on on the recruiting front for Rick Barnes and his program. Uh, so we'll keep close tabs on following all of that. Rob, you have said and repeatedly said, uh, BHH, that you like where Tennessee has been positioned with him for a while. So we'll see what happens with that one um, in the coming days, weeks, whatever. And, and, and what he ends up being in terms of classification and all that, all that stuff. Um, so we'll keep close tabs on that moving forward. All right. Obviously it's very early, but recruiting wise, what coaches names are you hearing uh, are generating the most buzz on the trail? LRB and Garner's names seem to be mentioned a lot in recruiting articles. Y'all have discussed how Heupel uh, himself adjusted well to the SEC level of recruiting. How about the rest have um, Jean-Marie, Tim Banks, Eckler, Matt got any juice going right now? Um, AP. I just don't think there's a whole lot of juice out there, period, Brent. I mean, I know they got their first commitment on Wednesday. Um, you know, I think, again, Vincent Sneed sounds like he's still going to do something in the month of May. And and as of now, I think Tennessee would still be the pick there. Um, I, I think that they've, they've made up a ton of ground with a guy like Cam Miller to the point, you know, and I know everybody's like, well, if Alabama wants him, they're going to get him. Okay. Well, I mean, like, if, if, if you're the – if you're the second option to Alabama, that's a pretty good player. Um, you know, so I, for me, like that's kind of, you know, where I think things are. I just don't think there's a ton of traction out there. I mean, I think that the, there's several kids in the state that like Tennessee, Caden Pope being one, Giovanni Davis being another. Um, I, I, again, I just mentioned Cam Miller. I think Tennessee ends up in a really good spot with Isaiah Horton before it's all said and done, but that one I think will go uh, a long time. I don't think he's, pulling the trigger anytime soon or anything like that. So, you know, I, I think that ultimately, you know, there's just not a ton of traction out there because a lot of kids want to see what's going to come out of the investigation. Yep. I think you're exactly right. So, so we'll see. I mean, this is a long game for Tennessee in recruiting and that's not great for the 22 class, but that's the way it has to be for Tennessee is they've got to play the long game to establish the relationships. They've got to show 
uh, success on the field and they got to get through the NCAA investigation. And none of that's going to happen in the next couple of weeks. That's going to be a long process for Tennessee to show those things moving forward. All right, next question. Is Rodney Garner still viewed as an elite recruiter in college football? I say yes. Seemed like he was available for a while after being fired. His phone wasn't ringing for a job. Here's my answer to that. He was coming with Kevin Steele. He was going to be a position coach at Tennessee with Kevin Steele. And then Jeremy Pruitt got fired. He was going to be on Kevin Steele's staff with Kevin Steele as the head coach. And then Kevin Steele didn't get the head coaching job. So he was in limbo waiting to see what happened at Tennessee. But his whole plan from the time he got out of his deal at Auburn was he was coming to Tennessee. That's the job he wanted. And that's where he was heading. And it just took a little longer to, to get going. His other option, had it not worked out at Tennessee because staff spots were filled around the country, I think he'd have been an analyst at Alabama. That's where I think he would have landed for a year before he got back into a full-time position somewhere. But obviously, Coach Heupel decided he wanted him on the staff, and, and that's how he ended up at Tennessee. All right, uh, let's get through the last two here right quick. Rob, can you break down the final two open spots on the roster? Uh, is it Tamba? Tamba? Tamba and Dunn holding one spot open. Tamba and a transfer, no spots open. Two transfers. Tamba pushed to 22. And short, is this staff done in the portal, or is there a type of player they'd like to add if they can? On my count, I've got, I mean, I don't have a roster in front of him, but Tennessee should have three spots open. I mean, maybe he's counting BHH as already being in the fold. Okay. Um, I guess. I think Tamba's coming no matter what, and then I think Rick would still add another big man transfer, but it would have to be the right guy. He wouldn't take a guy just to take a guy. Is Hanjay is, – is he going to reclassify still? I, I mean, I, I – Nobody's come out and said that, but I, I've heard I've heard that from several different people. Rob, Tennessee, Tennessee's not expecting anything out of him next year. It's just you know if he's going to come, his development would be sped up by practicing and working out with, with them than spending another year at Catholic. All right, let me ask this: Does that big man philosophy change if Fulkerson is back? Oh, I think Fulkerson's coming back. Okay, I think, I think so, that's you so you don't think, think it changes. Done. Okay, you don't think it changes kind of their needs like they're they wouldn't. They I don't know so much more. about their needs, but I can promise you their wants is to add a, an experienced big man if they can another, get it. another experience. I think that I mean I just kind of think that'll be tough to do if you bring him back Fulky. You just got a seven footer and and a do, and if you end up with with Huntley Hatfield, I mean what what experienced big is going to come and play in that crowded front court. Any truth to the rumor that if name, image, and likeness goes through, that Powell's will name a burger after the – call it the big Fulky to get – It's a no – it's got to be a no-brainer, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's got to be a lay-down, right? I mean, they're going to name a shake after him, a burger after him, and um, – The big Fulky. <laughs> the big Fulky. I like that. All right, Fulky, last – they're, they're going to change them to Fulky fries. Fulky fries oh. instead of Frenchy fries. All right, out the gate here at the last question. With Herring in the boat, Wade Twins likely to Kentucky. Who's up next on the list, AP? Vincent Sneed, anybody else? Anybody close? I think – I mean, unless, again, unless they can get Caden Pope or Giovanni Davis into the fold, yeah, I think Vincent Sneed sometime in May. Ten, to me, Tennessee's got to add one or two between now and when uh, things open up June 1st. All right. You got to have some like you don't have to have some run like you did a year ago. You just need, you just don't need to have one and then be sitting there at one come June first. All right. Yep. Keep a little bit of juice out there. Keep a little bit. Uh, keep yourself in the news, if you will, on the recruiting front. All right. That's going to do it for this edition of the Blue Water Climate Control VolQuest.com Mailbag Podcast. He's Austin Price. He's Rob Lewis. I'm Brent Hubs. Thanks for joining us and have a great rest of your Thursday, everybody. <laughs>